Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue in our Sermon on the Mount series, closing out chapter 5 in the book of Matthew with verses 43 through 48. Before we get into Jesus' challenging statement here today, let's set our minds by asking ourselves, who do you love and why? You might answer that question by asking things like, well, who is worthy of my love? Who loves me? Who is closest to me? Who deserves some good from me? Well, that's how humans think. But for the Christian, we are called to love as God loves, and that changes everything. Consider that God first loved us when we were yet his enemies, and it was when we hated him that he died for us and saved us. So then, how are we to love our enemies? It's noteworthy that Jesus didn't say, if you love everyone, it's impossible to have enemies. No, Scripture recognizes that we do have enemies. Well, if they are our enemies, considering what that word means, a person who is actively opposed to or hostile to us, who may even desire or actively seek or even have achieved our harm, why should we love them? How can we love them? Please join us all week for important answers. Here is today's piece of the message entitled, Love Your Enemies. He told the story of the Good Samaritan. And the lesson there is that when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he says, you need to work on being a neighbor to everyone that you encounter instead of trying to figure out which ones are good enough to qualify for the lofty office of being my neighbor. That's the whole point of that. Well, because of the horrible misinterpretation and the resulting twisted misapplication of God's law, a huge wall of separation was built between Jews and Gentiles. Jews were to be loved and Gentiles were to be hated. It was a problem that uh, spilled over into the early church. You remember one of the most fantastic things about the gospel is that it brings Jew and Gentile together on exactly the same basis. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem. And they're thinking, oh, yeah. And Judea, yes, Lord. And Samaria, what? And the uttermost parts of the earth. You've got to be kidding me. Don't you know who lives there? Gentiles. And God did it. And he opened up the door. And the gospel made the jump to Samaritans. And the gospel made the jump to Gentiles. Remember when God did that through Peter? And he, and he lowered that sheet and all the things that were the dietary things that kept Israel distinct. And, and God says, rise, kill, and eat. Peter, no, no, and no. And after God did it three times, he said, I get the point. I better not call unclean what you've called clean. And then God immediately took him and introduced him to Gentile converts to Christ. 
and let Peter introduce them and be the first influence to make them into disciples. That was a huge thing. And all of that bad attitude, all of that antipathy is part of the backdrop to this passage. Now, it went even farther than that. Not just the enmity between Jew and Gentile, um, but in the mindset that Jesus was confronting, the way the scribes and Pharisees thought, there were not only Gentiles that you needed to hate, but to them there were good Israelites, which, by the way, the scribes and the Pharisees understood who that was. The scribes and the Pharisees, of course. And then there were bad Israelites that you should shun and spurn. Bad Israelites such as tax collectors and the everyday rabble who didn't know all the complexities of all the rules and regulations that the scribes and the Pharisees made up. You know, hatred never starves to death when it feeds on a system that keeps pumping energy into it. And that's exactly what was going on there. Now, since it was into that environment that Jesus came and ministered, it's easy to understand why he was viewed with so much skepticism, as a matter of fact, with so much hatred, because, guess what? He hung out with the sinners, the people who needed him the most. Pure love, the kind that just runs over the boundaries of race and nationality and politics and age and gender. True love is thoroughly intimidating to bigots and elitists, and that's exactly who the Pharisees were. So that's the heresy of the Pharisees. Now look at the character of real love, verses 44 through 47. Jesus says, here's the second half of the formula, but I say to you, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Remember back to the last of the the Beatitudes? You're going to be persecuted. And here's how you're supposed to deal with people like that. Love them and pray for them. Now, maybe it had not been stated in Scripture um, exactly in the term... um, Love your enemies. But what Jesus was teaching here was very clearly God's intended purpose of His Word. For example, Luke 23, 4 through 6. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away. So there's somebody with whom there is antipathy between you and this person and you find his animal running loose. You shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in a dispute. Well, you could summarize that as love your enemies as you love yourself. How would you want that guy to treat your animal if your animal was loose? Now understand here, Jesus isn't asking you to do something impossible. He isn't telling you how to feel. 
He's not asking you to feel warm and toasty, fond thoughts toward those who hate you and toward those who persecute you. But he does expect you to act with respect and kindness even toward those who would like to do you in. Your enemy is an image bearer of God just as much as you are. And that's a big deal. Pray for the salvation of those who oppose you. I've had it three or four times uh, come to me when I have brought up what 1 Timothy 2 says about praying for those in authority over us. And I've said, you need, to, you need to pray for our president. And I've had it under several different presidents. I have actually had Christian people tell me, I can't pray for that man. He's too wicked. By the way, in different presidents from different parties. Oh, really? Really? There is someone that you deem not worthy of hearing the gospel, not worthy of saving, you have a different view of that human being, all human beings, than God does. Pray for your enemies and those who persecute you. You know, one of the best things in the world to do with an enemy is to turn him into a friend. And you know how you can do that? Speak truth in love, including the gospel. Now, If they hate Christ, they're going to hate you. They might persecute you, but if God opens their heart, they might become your friend. About, uh, I don't remember how long ago, maybe 10, 12 years ago, it doesn't matter how long ago it was. Uh, Let's just say in the early days of Heritage Bible Church, I had an interesting situation of two men in the church saw each other from afar, and both of them had their half of the conversation with me. One of them says, is that... Yeah, that's him. Is he a Christian? Really? Well, I knew him a long ago. And then the other one said, did I see so-and-so here? I said, "Is, is he a Christian? And I said, yeah, and I got to sort of secondhand share their testimonies with each other. It turned out that in a, in a former life, one of them had fired the other one from a job, neither one of them being believers, and it wasn't necessarily done with the most kindness and graciousness possible. But isn't it interesting to see the transformation? And you know what? They served together in the body of Christ. You've got to understand, remember one of the examples Murder is the same as hatred. And remember the Noahic law when God instituted capital punishment? To murder someone, to take a life, is to strike at the image of God. So if you are hating someone, you're striking at the image of God, and that's no small deal. What did Jesus do for us? You're familiar with the words in Romans 5. Let me pluck out verse 8 and verse 10. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son... 
If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.